You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hi, my name's Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as a tutor radiographer in the medical imaging department of the Royal Children's Hospital. So most people in areas of medicine will be relatively familiar with the concept of peer review of teaching and this is a pretty formalised process. And most listeners would also be involved in teaching in some way, shape or form and many would work in teaching hospitals. But what exactly is peer review of teaching and how can it be useful to you? So today I'm speaking with Wani Yu and Amy Gray. So Wani is the RCH Child and Adolescent Health Program Lead Coordinator and essentially runs the peer review of teaching program for medical fellows at RCH. Amy is a director of the Medical Education and the Education Hub at RCH and uses peer review of teaching in her clinical work. So welcome to you both. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Wani, let's start with what peer review of teaching is and how it works. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Look, it's a fantastic tool for any teacher. And really it begins with you as a teacher finding a colleague who is happy to be involved in the process, uh, meeting with that colleague about the teaching session you'd like them to review, and then setting up the time and the space for that to happen. And it can happen in any setting. So it could happen in a tutorial classroom-based setting, a Zoom teaching session, and for us most often at the bedside. So the process is that the, the meeting occurs initially. The person who's being reviewed, the teacher who wants to be reviewed, actually thinks about some topics that they particularly like to be reviewed on and then ask their peer reviewer to particularly focus their observation on those things. Then following the actual session that's observed, there's a feedback session. Okay. Is it common for the observer and the observed person to switch roles with each other? Like, can they do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's often what we find happens. So if you obviously want to find someone that you're comfortable with and that there's a level of trust and respect with, and so it usually works vice versa. If someone asks a person to review them, they're usually comfortable to swap that role around. Yeah. Okay. And how is it currently used at clinical institutions like RCH? So at RCH, we've got every year at least 10 new um, clinical teaching fellows who are either pediatricians or pediatric trainees. And all of them are involved in a peer review process at least once and often twice in the year. All of our teaching fellows have found it one of the most useful aspects of improving their teaching by having that perspective of someone external, providing them some additional things they can reflect on in regards to their teaching. Okay. So I can imagine it would initially feel like you're being scrutinized rather than helped in some way. How do you help them through this process of like uneasiness? Yeah, that's a good question. So I know, and I know myself, the first time that I was having a peer review session, I was really nervous and it took some time to be able to just focus fully on the teaching and forget that person was there. I think the setup is about choosing that person that you feel comfortable with. Like I I mentioned earlier, finding someone that you definitely respect what they might be going to talk to you about in a feedback session, but also that you trust and you can make it. It it is essentially a learning environment for the teacher. So you want to make sure you've got that sort of trust with that person. And then as a peer, as, as an observer, you need to make sure that you're not conspicuous and you try to make yourself not in the line of sight of the teacher. So that's an important part for the person who's doing the observing. The setup is important too. So meeting with the person who's been observed beforehand and just setting up what it is they actually want to get out of the 
observation is important too. So then it becomes that it is actually about improving your teaching. So just like any session we do with a student where we're observing them, doing something and then giving them feedback, it's exactly the same process, but this time it's around teaching. Okay. I can imagine it'd be hard as well being the person providing that feedback and trying to provide it in a constructive way without necessarily sounding condescending. Yeah, I think you just have to be very mindful that you're concentrating on the teaching aspects and that you don't try to think about the comparisons about how you might teach. You're looking particularly at, you know, areas where how how things are impacting the learning for the students or the learners involved. So when you say you're looking at the teaching aspect, we're not discussing content at all? Yeah, correct. Yeah, so it's not at all about the content. You know, I've had a peer review process myself and it was quite intimidating because there was two professors who came along and they're actually from different faculties. So they weren't familiar at all about the content. Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And I think that actually is helpful so that potentially having people who aren't familiar with the content would make you fully concentrate just on the teaching aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Amy, tell us about how you have implemented peer review of teaching in your own clinical work. So Steve, I think I kind of accidentally implemented <laughs> peer review of teaching. We were part of a project looking at ward rounds and what happens on ward rounds as far as teaching and learning. Um, it's one of the key education activities, I guess, in hospitals, but we often don't think about it deliberately in terms of how we're going about that teaching and learning process. Yeah. So it was part of a research project and I observed ward rounds for about three to four months in my department. And we have about 20 clinicians in our department, 20 consultants. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of ward rounds to watch and most people had their ward rounds watched sometimes for an hour, sometimes for up to three or even four hours. So yep. it's quite a long observation process. And I think what I realised during it was one of the most valuable parts of it was essentially a peer review process. I certainly benefited from seeing my peers and how they were teaching and learning in that setting. Um, but I was able to give them feedback afterwards about how that was going for them or my reflections on what I saw them doing. Yeah. So I guess like you kind of learn a lot of stuff when you're doing some sort of say educators forum or something like that, where you're all kind of sharing ideas here and there about what works and what doesn't and that, but sometimes you don't see how effective it is until you actually see it live in yeah. some way. And Wani's just mentioned all the good things you should do with peer review teaching, like setting up beforehand about what needs to be observed and what aspect of teaching needs to be observed. And certainly that wasn't intended really in our projects and it was this unintended benefit. Um, so we didn't really set it up beforehand with them, but afterwards when we were giving them feedback, they found it useful. If you went back to the same people, they'd have more of an understanding of what they'd want you to look at. And yeah. that again, as Wani says, it's not about the content, it's about how you're structuring that ward round and teaching. Yeah. Uh, Amy, you didn't intend for this to happen, like in terms of the, the peer review of teaching, but how was it received once you did kind of look at it? Yeah. So at first it felt awkward. I think a little bit like Wani has said, it's, it's awkward when peers observe you and are there to give feedback on you. I must say I was terrible at being inconspicuous because when you insert another consultant on a ward round, the last thing you are is inconspicuous. Everyone tries to make way for you as they do for other consultants. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a challenge I had to address. When we offered the feedback to people and said, look, if you've got time, I'm, I'm happy to take you for a coffee and sit down and talk about how you were teaching and how your you know, trainees or um, doctors on that round were learning, everyone, almost 90% of people took up the offer. 
Yeah. Um, and universally, they said they'd never had that kind of feedback, that they hadn't really thought about some of the ideas that we reflected on during that feedback um, and that they found it really useful and beneficial for their practice. We've tried since to offer it more regularly, but, you know, a number of things have intervened and we haven't been able to. Yeah. It's interesting because for someone who's a clinical educator, I very rarely, in fact, I think I can only count like on one hand, how many times I've actually been asked, how am I actually teaching? Like, am I actually teaching the right way and doing the right thing? And for someone like, I mean, I've been here for 13 years and I'm getting asked, I'm only getting asked that question a very, very small amount of time. Uh, What are some of the difficulties that you need to overcome to make it an ongoing process, do you think, aside from getting rid of COVID? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, COVID has made it hard to put additional people on ward rounds and, and watch. I'm not sure what Wani would say about this, but I think for me in the clinical setting, it's always clinicians having the time and the headspace to think about that being something they want to do in that moment. Um, it's hard enough sometimes teaching and learning in a busy clinical context without having someone watch you when you're under pressure. So certainly I think it's about people knowing the option is available, but being flexible um, so that if something happens on that day and that day turns out not to be the best day to watch someone in that environment, then, you know, making sure that you can reschedule and do it at a time that they feel right about it. Ward rounds can be complex beasts and then anything can happen. And when someone's watching you and you're feeling like things aren't going that well, it can be quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just add that one of the things we had to do during COVID, we continued this and obviously our clinical teaching was a little bit impacted in the numbers of people who we had at the bedside. So we didn't have a peer reviewer at the bedside. We had them virtually at the bedside. Okay. So either we had one of the students helping to hold a device so that we could still be doing observation, but that's another way that has worked quite well, actually. Yeah. Having the peer observer. Doing I'm, it just, I'm just picturing in my head this robot standing yeah. at the bedside at the foot end of the bed, like that has this little screen as their head with uh, someone logging in from home or something. Yeah, watching almost. It happen. Do you guys know of anywhere that does this well? And it may not necessarily be a clinical institution. It could be an educational institution. I know the University of Melbourne's certainly done a good job of making this part of how we have an ongoing process of supporting and, I guess, reviewing our educators. So I think that's an important first step. But I'd really like to see it be more part of what the associated clinical teaching hospitals do and not so much um, focused on the kind of formal learning encounters that I guess we, we capture now. Yeah, I think, look, if there's anyone out there that's listening that does know of somewhere that's actually doing it well, then please feel free to reach out to us at the Education Hub in in RCH. Now, this is clearly something that is well established in clinical medical circles. And of course, it does appear to be widespread approach in the academic world as well. I haven't really seen it used clinically for areas in such as allied health, but it may happen, even though I'm not necessarily aware of it. I'm sure it would be very beneficial though. So is there any advice from either of you as to how to implement this in the allied health area? Yeah, I think the first thing is just some education about the process and what it involves and some examples, and and that could be done in whatever format that uh, you felt was you most useful. And then, like we talked about before, that you don't have to be a content expert, potentially having people who've been heavily involved in the peer observation process before, helping to do some key educators within allied health peer observation, and then helping that therefore filter through the department would yep. be a, an initial way I could think of. Yep. yep. And a great opportunity for interprofessional collaboration and crossover if we had people from different craft groups looking at each other, I think. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that one. There's a lot of discussion around at the moment about interprofessional learning, uh, and this could be one way for a discipline to learn from another whilst helping uh, them with their own teaching skills as well. I feel like there's a bit of a, um, a reluctance to introduce interprofessional learning somehow, and I wonder whether a peer review of teaching, having, having the two together entwined, might actually be a way that we can kind of accelerate that process a little bit further. I think it's a nice way to put two craft groups or three craft groups a reason to come together. Mm-hmm. We sometimes find it really hard to schedule interprofessional uh, student education events, um, but this is really working more one-on-one or in smaller groups to, to support each other and learn from each other. And I think you know, anything that improves our understanding of what we each do and what we can offer each other has to help get us down that pathway. Mm-hmm. Winnie, I'm not sure what you'd say. Yeah, I think definitely because I think that within teaching, that definitely brings us all together, the tools that you use in teaching, something that we've all got in common for sure. So I think it would be actually quite a, a great way to think about doing some interprofessional collaboration. Mm, fantastic. Thanks, Wani and Amy, for your input in today's conversation. Keep a listen out for more podcasts like this one, as coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be tackling the concepts of clinical supervision and feedback and also introducing the Paediatric Academy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, great thanks. to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.